Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. Turn with me to John chapter 14. It's a theme of the year and it's a theme of this preaching series. Uh, We're talking about the mission of Living Hope Church, which we believe is the mission of every believer, to love God and to grow together and to accomplish the purpose that He has for us. Last week, we talked about loving God and we learned that loving God is not primarily a feeling or an emotion. And uh, there's a, a lady named Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot's husband, Jim Elliot, um, was part of a team of five men that were murdered and killed as they went to Ecuador to the um, Aka Indians to share the gospel with them. And they were killed as they were going to take the gospel to these men. Elizabeth Elliot was the, the widow of Jim Elliot. And Elizabeth Elliot actually went back to the place where her husband was killed. And going back there, God enabled her now to have a ministry to win them to Christ. Can you imagine the compassion that that must have taken to go back to the people who have murdered your husband and to give the gospel? She's one of the greatest missionaries of uh, the 20th century. Um, Here's what she once wrote um, about what we're going to talk about today. She says this, it is Christ who is to be exalted, not our feelings. We will know him by obedience, not by emotions. Now, I want to stop right there because I've met many people who are trying to know God primarily by their emotions. And if your emotions are the driving factor of how you expect to know God, you're going to live a very frustrated Christian life. We know God, she says, not by emotions. Oh, I feel God. He must be near. I don't feel God. He's far away. We primarily know God by obedience. Our love will be shown by obedience, not by how good we feel about God at a given moment. And love means following the commands of God. Do you love me? Jesus asked Peter. Feed my lambs was the answer he gave. When he asked Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He was not asking, how do you feel about me? For love is not a feeling. He was asking for action. Now, it's easy to say with our lips that we love God, but the truth is found not in what we say with our lips, but how what we say with our lives. The true measure of our love for God is not what we say with our lips, it's what we say with our lives, by our actions. Now, it is impossible, no, excuse me, it is possible It is possible to perform acts that appear loving to God, but come from a heart that's not genuine. Let me give you an example. You you might come here today and put $1,000 in the offering plate. By the way, if you want to do that today, we would gladly take that. No, I'm kidding. And that appears as an act of loving worship to God. But you know, you could give that to God and it not be an act of love. 
So just performing acts that appear loving, even coming to church today, it, it, you can come and not come from a, a and not be motivated out of a loving heart. For the example, the, the the Pharisees tithed and prayed and fasted, but Jesus said their hearts were far from Him. So it's possible to perform acts that appear loving but aren't truly acts of love to God because of the motivation behind it. However, it's impossible. Now I do want you to hear this though. It's impossible to truly love God and not express it through action. So in other words, if you truly do love God, you will express it through actions. Love that's not expressed in action is not true love. In fact, that's what Jesus said in the passage that we're going to look at today. Look at John 14 and look at verse 15. Uh, I'm going to use this kind of as a springboard, and we're going to look at a lot of passages today. Uh, but John 14, 15, a, a very simple verse. You could memorize it before you leave today. Uh, what is it, seven words? Um, eight words? If ye love me, keep my commandments. Seven words. If ye love me, keep my commandments. You see what he's calling for there? If you love me, feel good about me. You know, if you love me, obey me, show me. How many of you have ever driven through Missouri? What is Missouri called? The show me state. Don't talk to me about it. Show me. Have you ever been to Branson before? Branson is like uh, um, a Vegas without quite all the sin, <laughs> I guess. You know, there's it's Vegas for old people. <laughs> we'll say that much. It, it's Vegas for senior citizens, right? Uh, you know, lots of little shows and little attraction places that you can go to, and just everywhere you look in Las Vegas. I mean, in in um, in Branson, there's just little stuff like that. It's the show me state where they always have these things going on. But look what Jesus said in verse 21. He continues the theme. He that keepeth or he that hath, excuse me, my commandments, and keepeth, or obeyeth them, he it is that loveth me. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. That's why Elizabeth Elliot says, we'll know him by obedience. I will manifest myself to him. You want to know God better? Then obey what you know about him. That's how you know God, is through obedience. Look at verse 24. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. The opposite of what he said in verse 21 is what he says in verse 24. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. I have a simple idea today for the message, but it's this. That believers express love to God through practical acts of obedience. Believers, I've lost my water there. I was sitting on, I'm all dizzy. Can I sit down for a second? Sitting all around there. You're like a ballerina. Carly got a ballerina. Where did I get off on this tangent? I was on a serious topic. Carly, for her birth, for Christmas, birthday, Christmas, Christmas, got a jewelry box. And every time you open the jewelry box, it plays this song, and then the little ballerina spins and stuff. I felt like that just taking a second to find my water here. Um, believers express. Love to God through practical acts of obedience. Now, this message could have 200 points to it because the Bible is filled with commands that we're to practically obey. I want to talk to you about three, though, today. And um, as I talk to you, we're, we're going through our four purpose statements. The first one is love God. And last week I gave you kind of the foundational 
what the Bible teaches about the reality that the greatest command is to love God and the greatest sin is to fail to love God. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus was asked. He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And we talked about the big idea last week is that your ultimate purpose for being alive is not to be a mom or a dad. It's not to make money, to have a nice house, to be wealthy, healthy, and wise. Your ultimate purpose in life is to love God. That's your ultimate purpose. That's why you have breath. That's why God made you, so that he could love you, and so that you, who are made in his image, could love him in return. Now I want us to get more practical. What does that actually look like? If my ultimate purpose is to love God, is there some ways that we can measure that, and some ways that we can practically express love to God? I believe there are. And again, if you leave here saying, okay, Pastor Daniel said these are the three ways, and these three ways alone that we love God, then you've missed what I've said. I, I can't give you all the ways that you can love God through practical action. But I want to give you three ways, I think, biblically speaking, that you and I can express love to God. And, uh, and we're going to look at those in just a second. Pray with me. Father, speak to our hearts today as we look at this very functional, practical message about loving you. Help us to put it into action. James tells us, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And help us to hear loud and clear in our minds the words of Jesus, if you love me, keep my commandments. He that hath my word and keepeth it, he it is that love me. And Lord, help us to find in your word at least these three truths and bring to our minds other truths that we can obey, practical acts of obedience that you've commanded us to. And help us to be expressing love to you in these ways and many more ways. In Jesus' name, amen. How can we practically express love for God? Three practical acts of obedience. Number one, we love God through believers' baptism. And both of those last two words are important. Believers' baptism. Uh, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. What is a way that someone, practically speaking, with action, can express love to God? Well, one is through believers' baptism. First John chapter one, or excuse me, First John chapter three, verse twenty-three. Notice what Jesus says. No, not Jesus, but uh, John, inspired by Jesus, and this is his commandment: that we should believe on the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another as He gave His commandment. The first and foremost command that Jesus has for people that come to him is to believe on his name. Loving God does not begin, hear me well, loving God does not begin for any person until they have repented of their sin and believed on the name of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Let me repeat that because it's maybe the most important thing I'll say today. Loving God does not begin for any person until they have repented and believed on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Every person is at war with God when they begin this life. I've talked to people a lot and I'll say, when did you come to know Christ? When did you become born again? They say, well, I've always loved God. I've always believed in God. In my mind, it's like a fire alarm has gone off. And really, I'm sitting there. They may think I'm crazy because all of a sudden I hear that and I, I think to myself, we have a problem. They don't understand the gospel. Because they don't see themselves as an enemy, a hater of God. 
we all start life as an enemy of God prior to repentance and believing on Jesus. Now, once a person repents and calls on the name of Jesus, they are at that moment reconciled to God. Now, I, I am not a doctor. I don't have a doctor's degree, meaning I'm not a doctor. I, I, I'm not the wisest. But for somebody to be reconciled is means that they were at enmity before that. And all of us have to be reconciled. That means all of us were enemies. And that happens the moment they repent and believe the gospel. They're reconciled to God. And once they're reconciled to God, now they're able to love God. Whereas before that, they were not able to love God. I think I've got this on the screen. But Jesus established baptism as the public announcement and expression of repentance and faith. So in other words, the reason baptism is so important is not because we have an infatuation with you getting wet. Well, you guys are Baptists, so you guys got to do that, right? That's just kind of a practice that you guys have. No, no, the reason baptism is so important is because baptism is like the public wedding ceremony. It is you and I saying, I used to be the enemy of Jesus, going in contradiction to him, I was a rebel in my sin, and I've turned by his grace and been forgiven and saved and reconciled to God. And baptism is that public expression of repentance and faith. When a believer gets baptized, they are publicly declaring their love for Jesus and for the Father. Because Jesus says, he that loveth me loveth my Father, and he that loveth me not loveth not my Father. You see, baptism is so important because it pictures now our union with Jesus. You know, a marriage ceremony pictures a union of a man and a woman coming together as one. And baptism pictures now our union with Christ. That I'm identified with Him. His death, His burial, His resurrection. And baptism not only shows our union with Christ, but it shows commitment to Christ. Rather than empty words. I've got a couple stories I could tell you. There was someone I was witnessing to one time. And asked this person, would you like to... I went through the gospel. I asked this person, do you understand what, what we've gone through today? This person broke down crying. I said, yes. Uh, I said, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, as I have received Him as well? And I shared my testimony. And this person said, yes, I would. Prayed. And um, called on Jesus. I was so excited, so happy. This person just filled with a smile. And we were talking a little bit. And I said, you know what? Next step for you is you need to be baptized. Seemed real excited. Like, yes, yeah, 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 when? And we talked about getting baptized. And uh, the person came to church, I think, one or two more times. And on the day the person was to be baptized, no words. Didn't show up. We tried calling, tried getting a hold, tried doing everything we can just to stay in touch. And this idea of baptism, I think, is what a lot of us cause someone to, uh, I've seen that many times. Because you know what? I really think this idea of baptism many times kind of separates the genuine from the ungenuine, from the non-genuine, from the false. Because before it was just maybe a handful of us in the room and praying, but now you're talking about going in front of, and baptism seems like a big deal. By the way, it is a big deal. 
In fact, in some countries, you lose your life or your family for being baptized. And those people know what it means. That it's, it's established as a public announcement that I have no other gods but Jesus alone, and I love him supreme. That's what baptism says. I heard about a couple that have been dating uh, for, for many years, a couple decades probably, and um, they haven't got married. Maybe you know, I mean, I've actually, we know many couples like that, don't you? You know, anybody like that, couples like that, and, you know, they eternally dating, right? Eternally dating. And you know why that is most of the time? It's, it, it's, it's normally because, now a lot of times you don't even know that's the case because they've just been, they appear like a married couple. They, they may in every, every conceivable way the outside world appear like a married couple, but they're, they're not really married. And normally what it is, is it's normally it's at least one person in the relationship doesn't want to make the commitment. You know, because the idea of not being married, you still have some independence in the sense of still kind of hands off, still kind of walk away easier, still not maybe the legal ramifications of it all. And there's a, still that commitment there. So they just date and date and date, and there's not really any real commitment there. This is, you know, how many of you have ever, you don't have to raise your hand or, or announce this, but how many of you know someone who has been in a lengthy dating relationship? And this person was really frustrated because they are ready for the next step. You know, like, why is this guy dragging his feet? We've been dating for seven years or ten years or whatever, and he's, he hasn't popped the question yet. I don't have a ring. Or a, or, or a guy may be wanting to marry a girl, and he can just tell she's not going to say yes, or maybe she's put it off and put it off, and he wants to get married, and he's thinking why. He's getting frustrated. Now, to me, that's somewhat reasonable. You know, I, I wouldn't suggest people go about the way Melissa and I did, but what did we date? Seven months? Five months before we got engaged? And we were married before we had been dating a year. Now, we had known each other for about four years. But, man, I, I think it's reasonable for a couple that have been dating for, like, you know, an eternity for one of them to say, what's holding you up? Where's the commitment? Baptism. Baptism is that public expression of love. I submit to you that someone who dates but never intends to marry doesn't really love the person that they're dating. And likewise, no one who's no one really loves God who has not first believed on his son and followed him in public believers baptism. If you've repented of your sin, and placed your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone to save you, I don't say it with any hesitation in my soul, you need to be baptized. You ought to be, you should be, and you will be delighted after you are baptized if you do it from a heart of faith in Christ. Now, but I do want to say this as, as, as boldly as I just said that. It will do you no good to be baptized if you have not first repented believed and been born again you will just get wet and have to change your clothes and fix yourself up again and be no different and no sense and there'll be no change but if christ is your lord and savior 
then I call you. And no, in fact, God and Christ call you to follow him in baptism. And that's a way. You say, I do love him. I want to show him I love him. Well, it's time for you to enter the show me state, the spiritual Missouri, and express it through believer's baptism. That's the first step of expressing love to God. Number two, love God through weekly worship. Love God through weekly worship. Now, in this message, I'm also not only talking to you about some practical things, but I'm also giving you our game plan, so to speak, as a church. Because when we encounter people, we're seeking to lead them to that first step of loving God. My goal for every person that enters into Living Hope Church assembly here is that I first want to get them to believe and to be baptized and to begin a relationship of love with God. And so secondly, the aspect of this is loving God through weekly worship. And by that we're talking about coming and gathering with the church to worship the Lord. In the New Testament, believers gathered to worship the Lord and love Him as a local church. In Acts chapter 2, we read about followers of Jesus who gathered together weekly to read and to hear the word, to pray, and to express their love for God through praises and singing and worship. I think I've got this on the screen, so you don't have to turn there, but Hebrews 10, 24. Notice this. I never really noticed this as closely until this week. It's in the context of local assemblies, gathering as a church. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What's important about this is when we gather weekly to worship, one of the things that happens is that we provoke one another to love God. By you singing, you're provoking others to love God. By you hearing the word, by you praying, you're provoking others, stirring up others to love God. That's what takes place in the weekly worship service. God has always desired that his people gather together to worship him. That's why we've been studying in growth groups through the book of Exodus and Numbers about God establishing the tabernacle and gathering his people to come and to worship him. That's why Solomon built the temple. That's why they gathered in synagogues in the New Testament. That's why they gathered in homes and in the temple in the New Testament as well. Because God has always desired that his people gather together to love and worship him. And believers express love for God through weekly worship. By joining with the people of God to worship him. She would often go to church when she was sick, in pain, and tired. Many times it was a struggle for her to attend but she wanted to sing praises to God. She wanted to hear his word. She wanted to pray with others. And the reason is, is because she loved God. And I'm talking about none other than dear Miss Thelma, who the Lord took home to be with him a few months ago. I mean, there were many days when Miss Thelma would come, and it was a real struggle. Physically, she was having a tough time. And all logic probably would have said, if anyone has an excuse to stay, you've got the excuse to stay. But if she could make it, she would. Every time. There were times that she probably needed to leave early 
because her health was just not doing well. She had come. She wanted to be here because she loved the Lord and she loved him. If God has promised to manifest his presence when his people gather, then why would a believer not want to be here if they truly love God? Now, that's a question I want you to think about for a second. If God has promised where my people are, I am going to dwell and meet and manifest myself to them. My question here, to put it very simply, look right here for a second. If God is going to be here, why do you not want to be here? If God is going to be here, you say, well, God's everywhere. I know know that. But manifestly, God says, I will be with you here. Yeah, God is at home by my couch. But God is not at my couch the same way that God is here when we gather together as the church. So if you love God, why don't you want to be where God is going to be? If you can be in any possible way. That, that's what we're saying here, that we love God through weekly worship. Why is it so important? Because God says, that's where I'm going to dwell and manifest his presence. He does manifest himself at other times in other ways. I'm not saying he doesn't meet with you alone. He does, but there's something also special about him meeting with you here that you can't get anywhere else in the sense of, you know, I'm not just talking about living hope, but at the gathering of God's people. In honor of Jesus' resurrection, believers in the New Testament would gather on Sunday, the first day of the week, because that's the day that Jesus rose again from the dead, to honor his resurrection. And it's called the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. You know, it's, it's not just a weekend for you and I to say, I don't have to work. But there's a lot of Christians who view it that way. Man, it's the day I can sleep in. It's the day I can go to the lake. It's the day hey, I can do this and that. It's primarily the Lord's Day. I mean, there may be some other things that we do to rest and for recreation and to spend time with our families. All those things are great. But if we've missed the fact it's the Lord's Day, we've really missed it. We have really missed it. There's something special about giving God first place in your week, making it a priority to love Him at the weekly worship service. One of the best places I know to grow in your love for God is right here on Sunday morning. It's one of the best places. If you want your love for God to grow, one of the best places is here. Why? Because it's here that you're going to be provoked provoked unto love and to good works. This, the local assembly is where that happens. And not just by coming, because if you just by coming may not provoke you to love, but enthusiastically coming. I mean, do you go to church like the doctor's appointment? Or do you go to church like a exciting gathering you've been looking forward to? I mean, I think a lot of people think, well, I better go to church. It's like bad medicine. You know, it's going to taste bad, but I'll feel better later. You know what I mean? That's why a lot of people go to church. Oh, got to get up. Oh, got to go. Oh, oh, oh. God says, you're making me nauseous. Revelation 3, right? Your lukewarmness is making me sick to my stomach. But when we come enthusiastically, God is here. God is going to meet with us. That eternal word is going to be open. The praises of the king are going to be sung. We're, We're coming to the throne to pray to our God who hears and answers. And when we come enthusiastically, God meets with us. 
But how we ought to be ashamed if we view it as a doctor's appointment or bad medicine that we got to take just so that we can have a decent week going forward and not feel guilty. We've missed the boat if that's the case. A pastor who was visiting a church member who had stopped attending church regularly was at this person's house. It was a really cold day. The man had a fire burning in his fireplace. And after um, um, the man knew why the pastor was there, so before the pastor could even say anything, uh, the man starts giving excuses and explanations. Pastor, I've been so tired. Pastor, we've got this. Pastor, we, we've got these activities going on, and it's been demanding at work, and all these excuses and explanations. The pastor didn't say a word, didn't try to, 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 to answer, argue with them. He just sat there and just listened and was gracious, and, but he was thinking the whole time. And without saying a word, he walked over to the fireplace, and he took the tongs nearby, and he grabbed a piece of coal from the fire. And he pulled that one piece of coal from the fire and set it away from the fire and away from the other coals and put it alone by itself. And he just watched it. And in a few moments, it stopped glowing. And then when it stopped glowing, he picked it back up with the tongs and put it back in the fire. And it quickly became red hot again. And the man said, Pastor, I know what you're saying. I get the point. And the point is, is that when you and I forsake the assembling of ourselves together, that's when our heart grows cold. But when we get back into the gathering with God's people, that is when God sets our heart ablaze. So when we talk about loving God, the first thing that we're trying to do with people is get them in the weekly worship service so they can hear the gospel, believe on Christ, be baptized, and begin growing in their relationship with God. That's when we start with people. You say, Pastor, I've got a friend. She's not. He's not a Christian. What should I do? You know what I would do if I was you? I would try to invite them to come to the Sunday worship service. That's the first step. That's what I, I mean, not that you can't invite them to growth group or anything. That, that would be great too. But I would try to get them to come on a Sunday morning because this is where they're going to hear the gospel in its most fullest sense. When they come and hear, it's where they're going to see 30 other people listening to God's word, praying and singing God's praises. And it's where God's going to begin to draw them to Christ. Practical steps. How do we love God? Through believer's baptism. That's how we express love to God. Number two, by weekly worship. And, and I want, let me say before I move on from that, a part of coming to weekly worship is coming prepared. You know, sometimes I feel like at Living Hope, it takes us about 20, 30 minutes to really, really get engaged. That, that we kind of, I'm, I'm not trying to be, I, I want you to, I'm saying this from a, from a heart, a kind heart, that, that we kind of sleep through the first two songs. You know what I mean? That, that, that we kind of, we're kind of, we're, we're not here, we're here, but we're not here until about 10.50 or so, maybe after the first video or first time of prayer. In fact, I felt today, I'm just, I didn't plan to say this, not in my notes, this could be dangerous, but I felt like we started having church right around the time we were praying for the sanctity of life. I feel like that's when we started to have church, when we first really started to be focused in on it. And we kind of slept through maybe a little bit of how great is our God, waking up a little bit through it as well. But the other thing I would encourage you to do is to come early. To come early. You know, it, it says something that, that w when we come late. You know what I mean? Like, like if I was meeting with the president today, I don't know if I want to meet with many of the presidents we've had in over the last several decades, right? Um, but I, I wouldn't want to be late for that, would you? I mean, if I was going to meet um, 
was someone that I felt like was, you know, an important person, that they, I would want to be there on time. I wouldn't want to be coming in late and, you know, everything started. Hey, come early. Because it, it really does. It says something about the fact that this is a special time. This is meaningful. And, and the reason, too, is because, of, you know, a lot happens at the beginning. We're singing. We're praying. We're hearing uh, about what's going on. We're reading Scripture. I mean, I've, I really, sometimes I can be guilty of this. Sometimes Joe's reading, and I'm thinking about my sermon. I'm thinking about other things, all these things going in my mind. And today I just said, Lord, help me to really focus in. And I mean, that was amazing Scripture that we're reading at the beginning of the service. And I, I think that we're communicating a lot to God by that. We're on time for work. We're on time for other things. We can be on time to the house of God, to meet with him, to express that love. But, Lord, this is your day. It's getting quiet. It is getting really quiet. But, God, help us to do that. Believer's baptism, weekly worship, number three, the last one, finally. Love God through daily devotion. Daily devotion. The phrase daily devotions, let me just define it before we talk about it for a second. The phrase daily devotions refers to spending time by yourself with God every day reading the Bible and praying. That's daily devotion. Spending time every day in God's word and prayer. Some people call it quiet time. Some people call it daily devotions. I don't care what you call it. I just want to encourage you to do it and to have it. Let me read you some scripture of why this is important. Psalm 5.3, my voice shall fell here in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Psalm 119.97, O how loved I thy law, it is my meditation all the day. Right here, David tells us two things that are important to him. Praying to God in the morning. Reading God's word, directing his prayer to God, meditating on the word of God. David met with God daily through prayer and daily through reading his word. Jesus taught about that. Remember Jesus taught Matthew 6 about having a secret place to go into your uh, closet and meet with God in secret. And the God that sees you in secret will reward you openly. And Jesus didn't just teach that. Jesus practiced that. Jesus would do that. Look with me at Mark 135. It's on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Mark 135. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Now, can I help you with something? I don't mean to hurt your feelings. I'm going to hurt my feelings here too. But if you and I think we're too busy to get up in the morning and meet with God, you are not busier than Jesus was. I can promise you that. You don't have the schedule Jesus had. Up early and up late so often. The demands, the people coming, the enemies attacking. You're not busier than Jesus. And I'm not busier than Jesus. And Jesus made it a priority to get up in the morning before he went out, got alone into a solitary place, and there he met with God. The Son of God met with God. God desires to meet with each of His children for intimacy to be cultivated. I'm not going to have you turn there, but write down in your notes this chapter. John 15. 
Jesus said, abide in me. And he said it over and over again. He talked about, he that hath my words and abides in me shall ask what it will and be done unto him. So how do we abide in Jesus? It's by dwelling in his presence. It's by spending time in his word. James 4, 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Every morning or every day that you get alone with God to draw nigh to him in his word and in prayer, God is drawing nigh to you. God expresses, God's people express and grow in their love for him through daily devotion. Spending time with God in his word and in prayer. A man in Kansas City was severely injured in an explosion. And there was an evangelist named Robert L. Sumner who wrote about this in his book, The Wonders of the Word of God. In this book, he talks about this man from Kansas City whose face was badly disfigured. He lost his eyesight as well as both hands. He was just a new Christian. One of his greatest disappointments was that he could no longer read the Bible. Here's a new Christian. He wants to read the Bible, but his eyesight and his hands are no longer useful to him. Then he heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. And hoping that he could do the same thing, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille. Much to his dismay, however, he discovered that the nerve endings in his lips had been destroyed by the explosion. But listen to this. One day as he brought one of those Braille pages to his lips, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters and he could feel them. And like a flash, he thought, I could read the Bible by using my tongue. And at the time when Robert Sumner wrote this book, he said the man had read through the Bible, entire Bible, four times. Using his tongue. Braille. Many of you have heard the name William Wilberforce. It was so powerfully used in ending slave trading. But he also was just a faithfully devoted man of God. And he wrote these words, I find that books alienate my heart from God as much as anything. I have been framing a plan of study for myself, but let me remember, but one thing is needful. That if my heart cannot be kept in a spiritual state without so much prayer, meditation, and scripture reading, as are incompatible with study, I must seek first the righteousness of God. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm planning to study because he was trying to further his education. But he says, if those things get in the way of me praying and studying the Bible, then I have to seek first the kingdom of God more than I pursue all these other pursuits. All were to be surrendered for a spiritual advance. I fear, he said, that I have not studied the scriptures enough. Surely in the summer recess, I ought to read the scripture an hour or two every day, besides prayer, devotional reading, and meditation. God will prosper me better if I wait on him. The experience of all good men shows that without constant prayer and watchfulness, the life of God in the soul stagnates. And he goes on to list some godly men who in the morning and evening would, would pray and read the Bible. And he talks about them. And then he says this, I would look up to God to make the means effectual. I fear that my devotions are too much hurried, that I do not read scripture enough. I must grow in grace. I must love God more. 
I must feel the power of divine things more. Whether I am less or less learned signifies not. Whether even I execute the work which I deem useful is comparatively unimportant. But beware my soul of lukewarmness. That was written a long time ago, so he uses words that we don't quite use today. He's really saying that my first priority must be to spend time with God. And everything else will fall into place if I make that priority. Your heart and my heart will grow cold towards God if we neglect daily time with Him in His Word and in prayer. But on the other hand, your heart and my heart will be set ablaze with love for God if you spend time in His Word. If you say that you love Him, if I say that I love Him, we can demonstrate that by action. We can demonstrate it by listening to His voice, and we can demonstrate it by not only listening to His voice, by reading His Word, but by talking to Him in prayer. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.